the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. In the middle of this book, he says, here's, here's the main point for, for my writing, and it's chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And Paul says this, although I hope to come to you soon, again, writing to Timothy, he says, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of of the truth. Sure, we all know the unwritten rules of our church. Do you wear a suit and tie, a dress, or jeans and a t-shirt? Do you dance and raise your hands in worship? Or do you stand still? Paul understood that there was a lot more to church than a few unwritten social rules, and that his protege, Timothy, needed to know how it all works in order to be an effective leader. Pastor Gary is going to take us through the purpose of 1 Timothy today and share with us the important matters Paul wrote about. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let me give you a little bit of the background first, as I always do uh, when we start a new book study together. So I'm going to first talk just briefly about the book of 1 Timothy, and then we're going to talk briefly about Timothy himself. So here's a little background. But the book of 1 Timothy was written by Paul around 62 to 63 AD while he was in Macedonia, which is modern Greece. And it was written to Timothy. So, so sometimes people can read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and think that Timothy was the author. He was the recipient. Paul was the author. And Timothy was the pastor or overseer of the church in Ephesus, which is a city, still the ancient ruins are there in modern Turkey. And 1 Timothy begins a section of our Bibles referred to as the pastoral epistles. And that would be 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. Now, in your Bibles, it's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. But I've given it to you in the order in which Paul actually wrote these letters. He wrote it 1 Timothy, then he wrote Titus, and then he wrote 2 Timothy. And when we go from our Bibles where we left off last time at the end of 2 Thessalonians to 1 Timothy, we're advancing about 10 years. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the books we just completed, were books that letters that Paul wrote early in his ministry. They were uh, some of the first couple of letters that he wrote. 
And 1st and 2nd Timothy are the last letters that he wrote. And so we're leaving out a lot of what Paul wrote. Your Bibles, again, are not always given to us in chronological order, and this is such an example. We're going from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, a couple of the letters he wrote at the beginning of his ministry, to 1st Timothy Titus and 2nd Timothy letters that he wrote at the end of his ministry. Now, a little bit about Timothy himself. As the pastor of this church here in Ephesus, he was from the city of Lystra, which is again a city in Turkey. The Bible tells us that his mother and grandmother were Jewish believers, but his father was a Greek. Now, in ancient Jewish tradition, and it still holds today, you are Jewish if you have a Jewish mother. It is not based on your, your father's lineage. It is based on your mother's lineage. And the reason why this became a common practice among Jewish families is because dads would often go, out, go off to war in ancient times. And if they didn't come home uh, because they perhaps died as a casualty of war, uh, then you would have a loss of your identity. So the identity stayed with the mother's side of the family. This makes Timothy fully Jewish, even though he had a Greek father, a non-Jewish father. He had a Jewish mother and a Jewish grandmother. And they were not simply Jewish by birth, they were also Christians by faith. The Bible talks about uh, his mother uh, Eunice and how she was a devout follower of Christ. And so uh, the wonderful part about Timothy's story is that he is another example of someone who has come to faith because of a godly mom or a godly grandma. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who who have come to faith in Christ because of a praying mom or a believing and praying grandmother, and Timothy is one such example. How many of you would say that in large part where you are in Christ is due to the influence of either a mother or a grandmother in your life? Let me see your hands. See, many of you can testify to that. Guys, we need to step it up, but, but the fact is that many people have come to know Christ because of the godly influence and the uh, persistent prayers of a mom or a grandmother. The other thing to note about Timothy is that he's about 15 years of age when Paul comes to his hometown of Lystra on one of his missionary journeys and, and leads Timothy to Christ. And Acts chapter 16 gives us the background of it and tells us that as soon as Timothy is a believer, becomes a believer in Christ, he then follows Paul and he becomes a traveling companion of Paul's. And so this letter that Paul writes to Timothy is about 15 years after Timothy has come to faith in Christ. So now you've got to add that to his age. He's about 30 years old now as he pastors this church here in Ephesus. But again, because of Paul's influence, he is basically a traveling companion and protege of Paul's. And he's named with Paul in six of his epistles as being a co-author. So he becomes very instrumental in Paul's ministry. He becomes mentored by Paul. Paul becomes a spiritual dad to him. As you'll notice, I gave you some examples of how Paul refers to him throughout his uh, different letters. For example, in Romans 16, 21, Paul refers to him as my fellow worker. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he calls uh, Timothy my son whom I love. And here in 1 Timothy 1, we'll read it in a minute, in verse 2, he calls him my true son in the faith. So again, Paul is not his biological dad, Paul is his spiritual dad, and Paul's influence is noted 
uh, in Timothy's life, and Timothy becomes a traveling companion and protege of Paul's. But we learn some things about Timothy in terms of personality and, and, and just his kind of makeup, and that is what Paul writes in 2 Timothy and in 1 Timothy here, that he appears to be someone who's pretty timid, fearful, and sickly. Because Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 1.7 about how God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And so he addresses some fear that Timothy has. And, and then, you know, here in 1 Timothy 5.23, this is, this is one of these verses that some of you love to quote to justify why you like to binge drink. But anyway, that's, that's that verse about, you know, take a little wine for your, for your ailments, you know, for your stomach. 1 Timothy 5, 20, 23, that's gotten a lot of traction among, you know, people who, anyway, so that's, that's his counsel there because it was medicinal. It was medicinal. It was medicinal. All right. So unless, unless it's like medicine for you, you know, go easy on the bottle. But anyhow, uh, this is the background on the book of Timothy. And this is the background on pastor Timothy himself. And I want to point out to you the key verse, before we even start reading here from chapter 1, the key verse that sets for us the main point of this entire letter, and you can turn there to chapter 3, but I've also put it up on the screen for you. Paul writes very sequentially here in 1 Timothy, and he gives us, he just spells it right out in the middle of this book. He says, here's here's the main point for for my writing, and it's chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And Paul says this, although I hope to come to you soon, again, writing to Timothy, he says, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This is the main point and this is the purpose of his writing. The pastoral epistles... Again, 1 Timothy, Titus, 2 Timothy. The pastoral epistles should be seen as a manual for the local church. This is God's instruction to us as somewhat of a handbook for how the church should operate and function. Now, if you grew up in a mainline denominational church like I did, every mainline denomination has a handbook that they call the Discipline. And the discipline is basically, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it, this is how we function. Okay, well, God's, the discipline for the local church is basically 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Because what we're going to find contained, and and just speaking for the moment about 1 Timothy, what we're going to find contained here in this book are practical instructions for the church on matters of things, for example, of like orderly worship, on matters of prayer, on matters of the inspiration of Scripture and the importance of teaching it. And he's going to also talk about spiritual roles and differences between elders and deacons, between men and women in the local church. Seven times in 1 Timothy alone, Paul uses the word command. He tells Timothy, I want you to command these things. And I'll give you an example. If you go over to chapter 4, in chapter 4, for example, in verse 11, Paul says here to young Timothy, he says, command and teach these things. 
And then he adds it, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So seven times he uses this word command. It is the Greek word paragelo, and it is a military term. It is, it is Timothy, you set the tone for the troops in the church and you command them these things, not as some belligerent dictator, but you urge them so strongly that these are non-negotiables, that there's an important need for the church to understand God's view about how the church should function and how people within the church should conduct themselves. This is not up for debate. God defines these things and he lists for us the purpose of the church and how people within it should conduct themselves. We are not to try to improve upon it. We are not to try to alter it. We are not to try to redefine these things as our culture changes around us. You know, look, the church is not to be influenced by the changing times of the culture, but the church is to influence the changing culture. And, and we get it backwards. And so sadly, the church today, in many respects, not just, you know, speaking of ours, and I hope that we, you know, are conscious of these things, but unfortunately, in the larger sense, the church has chosen different priorities and different views of God's word that have been shaped in large part by the ever-changing culture. And, and I just, I want to make this clear that if you've been here at Cornerstone for any length of time, we are about substance over style. We are about truth over trends. And we are about Christ over culture. Every time. That's what we're about. And I, I'm all about finding ways to stay relevant, but I am also deeply concerned about the modern church making relevancy for the purpose of attracting people a higher priority than revelation for the purpose of glorifying God. In other words, we have to be asking ourselves, every church should be asking itself, are we more interested in gaining people than in glorifying God? And the way you can test that is whether or not the revelation of God's Word as the whole counsel of God is being taught and lived. I had a conversation with a lady a few weeks ago because every so often on a Sunday morning I will say to folks, hey, listen, after service, I'm going to be in the ministry room. If you're new to the church, I'd like a chance to meet you. I had an encounter with a lady a few weeks ago who was new to the church. She was visiting with a friend and she came to the ministry room to meet me. And she said, I have to be honest with you, I told my friend when I found out how large your church was, I didn't want to go to a mega church. And she said, and this is, to be honest with you, I think that this is, um, this is not an unfair characterization of some mega churches. She said, typically what I have found is that mega churches are all about trends and being edgy and being hipster and being all this and being all that, but lack solid biblical teaching. And she just said to me, I'm so grateful that when I came... I actually heard the Bible taught. And so that's what's important to us. I have never, 
I've never prayed for a large church. I've always just wanted God to be glorified. And as his word goes forth, what does Isaiah tell us? That God will accomplish the purposes for which it goes forth because God's word will not return void. And so it will offend some and it will liberate others depending on how you respond to it. But my goal is not to worry about who it offends and who it liberates, but just to glorify God and allow God's word to do its part in the hearts and lives of people. And so when Timothy here is receiving these instructions from Paul, Paul says seven times, I want you to command these things, command these things, command these things, so that the church of Jesus Christ can be healthy and so that people can understand God's view of how the church should conduct itself and how people within should conduct themselves. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 1, he, he begins by telling us he's the author, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Notice how he talks about God, our Savior, Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul's writing at a time, by the way, when Caesar Nero demanded to be referred to as Savior. So Caesar Nero was to be called Caesar Nero Savior, and Paul makes this distinction. He says, even though Nero might be on the throne, God is the one who's really on the throne. And so he refers to God as our Savior, not Nero, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Here's verse 2, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he warns here, starting in verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command, there's that word again, paragelo, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. So let's pause there for a moment. Now notice he's encouraging and urging uh, Timothy there in verse 3. Stay there in Ephesus. Um, look, I, I can tell you, and some of these things, as you read through First Timothy and Titus and Second Timothy, these pastoral epistles, you know, if, if you're not a pastor, some of these things, you know, may not make the personal impact that it does for you as it does for me. But what I get out of this first exhortation here is stay there in Ephesus because every pastor at some point wants to leave. Every pastor at some point wants to bail. Now, no disrespect to anybody in the room, but I can tell you personally in ministry that the greatest reward are God's people. I mean, that's just one of the most wonderful things about ministry are, are people and just the ability to interact with people and love people and, you know, lead people to Christ. So the greatest joys of ministry are people and the greatest discouragement of ministry are people. No disrespect, that present company excluded. I'm talking about everybody else in the church who isn't here tonight, but I'm just saying... <laughs> That, you know, and you know how it is in your own life. I mean, you know, people can be joyful and wonderful to, to your, you know, enrichment, and they can also be challenging. And, and, uh, and so I just love the way Paul's like, just stay there in Ephesus, because apparently Timothy wanted to bail. He's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. No, just stay there. Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command. And then the, this is the first thing that he urges. Now, as we go through First Timothy, we're going to make a list of some things that the church should look like. Some things that define the church. And the first thing that he 
tells us here is sound doctrine should be something that defines the church because his first warning is commanding certain men not to teach false doctrine. So apparently going through the church, and, and listen, this is, this is part of a pastor's job is to make sure that in, in different circles within the church, there's not false doctrine that is being taught. And so Paul says to Timothy, hey, listen, command, command certain men not to teach false doctrine. Now, it, it basically false doctrine comes from three things. You're either adding to scripture, you're subtracting from scripture, or you're denying scripture altogether. Okay, so that's where false doctrine comes from. Now, you don't need to turn to Genesis chapter 3, but I'm going to give you an example of this kind of a thing that happens in the, one of the first conversations recorded in history is, is between Eve and Satan, who appears as a serpent uh, in the garden. And this is chapter 3 of Genesis, is, is the fall of man when Adam and Eve sin against, they rebel against God, and they end up you know, taking the, the, the bait that Satan is, is giving to them about how God really isn't good and, and God's holding back on you, and so you ought to eat the fruit that he's told you not to eat. So they, they, they go for that, and then the, the fall of the human race. And so you know, as a result now, we all are fallen because we all belong to the Adam's family. And so, but that's just, that's just the way it is. But now here's this conversation in chapter three of Genesis. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now that's not what God said at all. God actually said, you're free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, except one. Okay. Now God gives, lavishes his goodness upon Adam and Eve. You're free to eat from any of the tree. Okay, that, that's a wide variety there. Just one, just one. Satan comes along and he, and, he, and he twists it and he said, did God really say you must not eat from any of the tree of the garden? So Satan flips it and makes God out. To, God's a restrictive God. And God, God, God wants to take away your fun. He's a killjoy and he just never wants you to have any excitement in life. And isn't that true, Eve? Now, when Eve actually responds to, to Satan, she says to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Okay, now, careful, Eve, because words are important, and she's already subtracted a few words. She says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, whereas God had said, we may, you may freely eat from any of the trees. So she's already subtracted a few words. But God did say, Eve continues, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, question, if you know the story from the Genesis account, did God ever tell them they couldn't touch it? God never said you can't touch it. He just said you can't eat from it, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So she adds and she subtracts from the word of God. She leaves out some words that God had said, like words like freely, and she uh, subtracts in that sense, and then she adds words like, and, and you can't even touch it. And so therein lies the problem. You start messing and tampering with God's word by adding to it or subtracting to it, and, and now you're leading into some false teaching. And it can just be a little word here and a little word there that can change the entire meaning of something. So we have to be very, very careful and true to the integrity of doctrine by not altering God's word, either by adding to it, and when you add to God's word, by the way, that's legalism. That's the problem of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. 
because they did heap heavy loads on men's shoulders. Remember, Jesus rebuked them for that because they took the word of God and they made it a bigger burden than it was ever intended to be by taking the law and adding to it all these various things to make it this burdensome thing. You know, for example, the strictness of the religious sects, particularly the Pharisees in Jesus' day, took something like no work on the Sabbath, and they added to it things like you can't even spit on the Sabbath. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Timothy. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 1 Timothy, and we encourage you to read over today's message on your own. And then make plans to join Pastor Gary again for more from this New Testament letter, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, you're not a General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.